Welcome to Open Government in Florida. I'm your host, Pamela Marsh, president of the First Amendment Foundation. And in today's episode, I'll be talking with Tramel Gomes. Tramel is an experienced broadcaster and an award-winning journalist for major news outlets. He's covered complex and important public policy issues while managing a statewide news team as news director of Florida Public Radio in Tallahassee. Tramel is president of Gomes Media Strategies, a media relations firm, and, full disclosure, he's an enthusiastic member of the First Amendment Foundation's Board of Trustees. Tramel is also the host of The Rotunda, a weekly public affairs podcast about the people and issues shaping Florida politics. Tramel, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Pamela. Let's jump right in. Tell me about the Rotunda. What inspired you to start your podcast, and what do you try to bring to your listeners? Ah, the Rotunda podcast, at Rotunda podcast on social media. It is a passion project that I started several years ago before the podcasting boom. Um, I used to walk around the Capitol and I would have to commandeer people's phones to say, hey, look at this podcast app on your phone. <laughs> this is cool. what it's for. You can listen to the program. Um, but it's about the people and issues shaping Florida politics. So for the people... In the headlines, the goal of the podcast was to really tell their stories, to sit down with the people who are making headlines and get to know more about them and have this new way of distributing this content, get people to really understand what's happening in the halls of, of the Capitol here in Tallahassee that seems so far away for many. Um, so that was the, the, the brainchild and, and why I started it. And it just came out of a love for broadcasting, my background in public broadcasting, being a radio journalist, and just the art of creating sound and and and, and telling stories for the ear, um, weaving in that sound, describing the room of this, like, you know, warmly lit room and how the air is, like, you know, so crisp and stuff like that. Being able to describe for people what they're actually listening and taking them on that journey is something that I enjoyed and I did not want to move away from when I started Gomes Media Strategies. So it was a way to keep me close to home, if you will. And you did it so well that now you have all these copycats like me. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a wide open tent and um, the more the merrier. It's great to have people with different interests. It's like, you know, um, like Netflix. You just go and select the topic of your interests and, and, and have your Sunday afternoon or Monday afternoon listening to whatever you feel interested in. That's right. Well, the Rotunda is great and I enjoy listening to it. I've touched on this next issue in prior episodes, but what would you say to our listeners about how you know when you've found trustworthy journalism versus conspiracy theories? Ah, the fourth estate, yes. journalism as we know it. Um, how do we know? It's really tough these days. It's very difficult when you're seeing news articles on, on platforms like Facebook to really understand whether to trust that content. Um, one basic thing that I tell my students and people that I know, friends in the family, is to be very critical. Be a very critical consumer of content. You have to really guard what information you're allowing to come into yourself. Um, basic rules and tricks of the trade is like when you see an article on Facebook, just go to the dateline. 
See when it was published. Um, who is the author? Find out about the journalist that wrote the piece. Um, this is all about being a critical consumer. You really have to invest the time in knowing why the information is coming at you, the motivations of the people who are writing um, this, the background of the um, news institution. What what are their leanings? Do they have one? Are they trying to be a fair arbiter of like you know information? So it's very important for people to to be more critical and 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 hold these institutions accountable by asking very basic question questions like understanding the difference between like you know commentary and advocacy um do you know the point of view where the person is coming from and then you want to get even deeper like are, are people being paid to tell this Funding. message yes <laughs> absolutely so there's a lot and it's kind of scary but it's important to really think and 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 get down to um, asking these questions and don't be afraid of asking because the more you know, it's better um, for your understanding and and knowing where someone's point of view is coming from. Right. And getting back to those conspiracy theories, um, seems like there's been an abundance of them circulating. And I'm thinking specifically of those promoted by Q Anonymous or Q Anon or just Q. Who or what is Q? Great question. And it is growing. Um, and we need to be very much concerned about Q, who Q is, what is QAnon? So this is the definition that I have that I will read. QAnon is the umbrella term for a sprawling set of internet conspiracy theories that allege falsely that the world is run by a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who are plotting against President Donald Trump while operating a global child sex trafficking ring. Wow. So getting down to the specifics, like, you know, that's what QAnon is about. And then it spreads even further from there. So it's like from that conspiracy theories to bringing anything in anyone under that tent. They have questioned, like, you know, Hillary Clinton's motivation and so many other things um, that outlandish that you wouldn't normally believe, but it's under this umbrella of this child sex ring cabal and trying to uncover it and um, really exposing those who they think might be a part of this. So that's QAnon at its core and, and they idolize President Donald Trump and it's just spreading and growing from there. Right. And they demonize Tom Hanks and Bill Gates and that we're all going to be microchipped. Yeah, um, yeah. And that definition, I, I, I read it from the New York Times, yeah. In a world in which information is so readily available now, how is it that people buy into these conspiracies and so fervently believe the misinformation? I think it's the 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 constant and consistent breakdown of trusted institutions and the telling people that they shouldn't believe what's in front of them. They shouldn't believe that the sky is blue, um, although the sky Actually <laughs> is blue is and grays and, and like, you know, the clouds and all of that stuff. So that's where it goes into um, where they're like, it picks apart and, and, and allows people to really break down the obvious into these outlandish territories. Um, so you have um, the leaders uh, of this country and uh, like the president, to be specific, breaking down 
journalism and saying you shouldn't believe journalists. It's fake news. And then you have the rise of alternative facts and these other terms. And people really taking their own spin on what facts they truly want to believe. So that's where we are. The the absence of like, you know, credible and questioning of scientists and journalists, it leaves you to believe anything because you feel that there's nothing there. So it's 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 a worrying, troubling time in this information crisis, information war, if you will, that we're dealing with today. I sometimes think how simple life was when um, the Tallahassee Democrat was this newspaper that was delivered in the morning and we'd pick it up off the driveway and there weren't so many different, there's this proliferation of news sources. Um, for example, I think Twitter has banned some misinformation on COVID, um, but the information then just goes somewhere else. Um, so is it a good thing or a bad thing that we have so much information at our fingertips? It is a double-edged sword. Like, good you know, answer. it's a good and bad. Um, we have more information out there, more things that are taking our attention away. Um, back in the day, looking back at the old time, we used to gather around the television at, at, at a set time, 6.30, to watch your news digest. Uh, now you can get your news at your fingertips, uh, on your phone, this constant feed of information, Twitter, constantly giving you updates. Even before these journalists um, put out their official reporting, they're giving you the play-by-play -play ahead of time. So there's a lot of information out there. And this goes back to the consumer being ever so critical um, to the information that they're um, consuming and really investing the time of, of of holding these institutions and journalists and being more critical about the information that's that's coming across their eyes and their ears. Do you think that the multitude of sources contributes to the divisiveness we see in our country right now? Um, that people have their own sources that they're so wedded to that are so different um, across the political spectrum. Um, I it's 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 tricky. I I see where that point of that question. I think it's the algorithms when you really want to get into it of how information is fed to us. Like, uh, and I don't want to be picking on Facebook, um, but when you're on Facebook on that platform and you're engaging with the same 10 people over and over again, um, you have these algorithms on like Instagram, same company, <laughs> where you're being fed information that is um, tailored to you, tailored to your previous likes and interests. And it's just keeping you within that bubble. So it's harder for you to really understand someone outside of your 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 way of thinking. Um, those that view Fox News on a as a regular diet, you kind of understand when where they're coming from and their beliefs because that's the information they're consuming. So um, it's moving forward with that understanding when you're 
having a disagreement with someone on, on politics, for instance, and you know they're consumer of Fox News or where they get their information, that understanding helps you to actually prepare for that conversation and meet that person where they are. And hopefully that dialogue will be able to, to, to come to a resolution or a place of mutual ground faster because you know where they are coming from and you can have a dialogue and, and, and get mutual understanding. Tramel, that is such a brilliant point to make that it's not necessarily us choosing the news. It's an algorithm being fed to us of news. Um, so it's not so much us making a choice. That's that's a really interesting perspective. But we can reclaim our time and that choice and really invest in um, diversifying and getting outside of our comfort zones. And this goes back to the theme of really understanding the other person's point of view. Excellent. Beautifully said. So going back to QAnon for just a minute, it seems to be gathering strength in Florida as the elections approach, especially. There are several candidates running for political office in our state who are publicly QAnon supporters. How did we get there? Back to what we were saying, um, the, the constant breakdown of legitimate sources of information and qu leaving the public to question uh any and everything. Um, Wendy Rhodes, uh, a reporter at the Palm Beach Post, did some really good reporting on several candidates in Florida running for office. And these are some of their claims um, about their beliefs. Like, you know, they believe that pedivores or pedophile cannibals eat babies to get high and that children as young as six are taught about having sex with animals. And it, it, it goes even deeper with their claims and like, you know, claims government confiscates children from families who refuse to immunize them. So these are actually public folks who are running for office. And we saw in the primary that one of their uh, most prominent, Laura Loomer, just won her, her primary for the GOP and is being praised by the, 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 the president. And who knows where she will end up um, come November and making public policy uh, decisions. And the, the part that is concerning is that when you have people who don't believe or believe in anything, you can't really hold them accountable. They are flexible. There's no moral compass. They switch, they move. Like there's nothing that pins a person um, um, like that down. And um, it's not necessarily just for politics. And they're really latching on to an issue like this pedophilia. Mm -hmm. Really, everyone is generally concerned about this. Nobody of wants course. to have pedophiles around, but this is how it's being able to recruit the average person and pull them into this world of conspiracy theories. And they really have a, a, a good goal of like, you know, trying to eliminate something that they see as bad, but the motivation behind it, like, you know, you get lost. And, right. um, and it's the shock value. So maybe the question isn't, how did we get here? But where do we go from here? Yeah. How do we get out of it? Yeah. Is there a solution to the vitriol and the divisiveness in politics now? Understanding each other. Like, it seems as simple to say it, but that 
aspect of really listening to your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, and those difficult conversation over like, you know, um, holiday time about um, politics. It's really taking that time to go and on that journey with that person, active listening, where you really listening to their perspective. How did they arrive at that conclusion? They may be saying something that's absolutely wrong. You know that they're off base and wrong, but how did they get there? Taking that time to really understand how they got to that point, going on that journey with them and meeting them at that spot and really say, okay, now I understand your perspective. That can help us like, you know, get to a better understanding, understanding the context. And of course, some people are just hard-headed, but at least we can walk away knowing why they are thinking that way, how they got to that point, and there's that mutual exchange and understanding, and it gets us to the next level of the conversation as opposed to just sticking to that sticking point and all that stuff. So it's, it's the growth and taking that time to really be open-minded and 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 going on that journey of understanding other perspective why is that black lives matter protester really protesting what's the underlying concern um is someone just trying to be heard right. we have right now the president of the united states who really loves to be acknowledged mm-hmm. and if he's not acknowledged, um, it, 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 it could lead to consequences. So it's like, you know, do you understand a person with that type of personality um, and getting to that point? So I think it comes down to something as simple as understanding. It's simple to say, but it's harder to get there. Right. Meeting a hard head with kindness and compassion. Yes. How can we, as a concerned public, support ethical, accurate, journalism, especially in the areas of government and public policy? This goes back to giving a thumbs up and a praise, something as great job to those who are doing the work right now and doing the work right. This brings me back to the um, primary election locally here in Tallahassee, watching the Tallahassee Democrat and seeing them out there hitting the streets during a pandemic and giving us that play-by-play update on our local races. And particularly the photojournalists, I was particularly impressed with to see them get intimate with those um, campaign, small campaign watch parties and seeing those photos come across like that visual storytelling. It's, it's giving that credit. And I was, I tried to, like, you know, personally, I tried to leave a comment on Facebook. And for some reason, I tried twice and I got like bumped out. So I never got to, but this will be that giving that credit to, um, that organization and also holding them accountable, holding all news organizations accountable for, um, their content, what they're reporting on. And, um, yeah, just, just having that dialogue. I think it's investing in, in, in those people who are doing it right, letting them know and following up with them and letting them know that you're an active supporter. You're a reader, you're a listener, you're a viewer, subscriber, subscriber, all of it. And it's about building community and having that dialogue. And at the end of the day, we all want to know what's happening around us. And we have examples of, um, of really good, 
um, institutions that are doing that and they need our support now because what we're seeing now actually is is losing of jobs and the Our funding model yeah mm -hmm. the funding models of the past is not holding up and we need to rethink and figure out ways to support them right and on that note journalism good journalism really values its independence um, so that it can be objective it can report on both sides so this is a little bit of a going out there on a limb question, but is there ever a role in the future for government-funded journalism? I think there is. And thankfully, there's an example playing out right now in New Jersey with, uh, oh my gosh, the name just escapes me right now. It's the Civic Engagement Consortium. Um, forgive me if I, I, I got it wrong, but they actually passed a bill to get some funding for this consortium um, to help support great journalism institutions. And this is government funding that will go and their structure. And it's just now they're now going out and and laying the framework for this. And they just secured this funding and they're now unfolding it. I think I believe they're going to launch their website and, and, and go forth. But they have a board structure where you have university faculty, journalism faculty and journalists that are on this board and including legislators, because now you're getting this funding from the state right. um, and you have folks. So I think it comes down to transparency in pretty much everything that we do, as long as we know who is participating, how it's being done. I think that's the the inoculation and solution to our concerns and those who are worrisome or fearful, like, oh, how are we going to be sure this is objective? You have this board structure where you have all of these entities, um, the journalists who will make sure that there is like, you know, there's firewalls. And then you have the legislators who are providing funding. They're part of the board to, to see how this is operating. So as long as you have um, a wonderful board structure to then help distribute these funds to these organizations that are meeting um, an agreed upon interest, there are ways to do it right. And then we have um, legacy entities like the public broadcasting uh, model that's already there and where I worked in that have been um, working fine. And you you see that they've been able to maintain their independence and, and it all comes down to being transparent to me. Perfect last word for the First Amendment Foundation's podcast. Transparency is the solution. Thank you so much for joining me, Tramel. This has been fun. It's been a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. Remember, the First Amendment Foundation is a nonprofit and depends on support from the public. If you care about the work we do, please go to our website and learn more and become a member. When you support us, you support you.